Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Robert Baharian and this is Masters in Investing. They say life never stops teaching and we never stop learning. This show is a constant dialogue with investors about the economy, about markets, business and about investing to provide you with insight, learnings and a straight up point of view so that you can make better decisions with your money. Robert Baharian is the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Robert and the show's guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Baharian Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only, its general in nature, and does not take into account your specific circumstances and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial advice or decisions. Clients of Baharian Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this show. My guest today is AFL legend and premiership coach Paul Roos, officially my guest with the shortest introduction this season. We talk about Paul's time at Sydney Footy Club, what he learned as a coach, and what he did to put in place a roadmap for a successful footy team breaking a 70-year-plus drought. We touch on Paul's time at Melbourne Footy Club, the difficulty in getting players to trust him in the game plan. We talk about commentators, the so-called experts as it relates to footy and investing. We discuss having a clear process, a game plan, managing emotion, and focusing on the things you can control and not what you can't control, both in sport and in investing. Paul talks about awareness, preparation and process, and clarifying what success looks like for both professional players and investors. I think there is such a huge overlap between successful and professional sports and investing. I really enjoyed my conversation today with Paul. I hope you do too. Thanks for joining me today. Now I understand that you're uh, you're spending some time in Hawaii at the moment. Yeah, so my wife's American and her dad got a bit crook a while ago, so we got exemption to get out of the country, which was nice to spend time with her family. So we spent a month or so in California and we're about to head back there, see how they are as well. Yeah, so getting out of Victoria, well, we were sort of part of the lockdown for a while and then escaped the lockdown and just saw a different side of it, I guess, in the US and was here through the election, which was another sort of fascinating year as well. I want to get straight into it, Paul. 2002, you took over the coaching position from Rodney Ede at Sydney Footy Club. At the time, Sydney had, I think it was like a 70-year drought in terms of premiership. Can you talk to us about the culture of the club at the time, the, the performance of the club at the time? And why do you think the Sydney Swans were in the position that they were when you took over? You know, I guess it sort of comes back to, if you look at sort of investing, it's, it's almost similar. I mean, we probably didn't have a plan, you know, and I think if I looked at Sydney from an outsider's point of view, you know, playing against them for many, many years, they went through a really good period when they had, I think, Hayley and then they had Greg Williams and, and Jared Healy and really, really good players. But their sort of plan, which is not a bad short-term plan, is to get the best players you possibly can and hopefully win. But it's not just sort of sustainable. I think that's what the Swans ran into, that you know, they didn't have a long-term plan. As soon as the good players left, their performance dropped off and then they went from you know, membership-based club to private ownership. So by the time I got up there, um, I think they were re-establishing themselves as a club and, 
and had more of an idea that we, we have to have a longer term view. We have to sort of understand as a club where we're going and what our goals are, not just about winning, you know, which is hard to do in an AFL footy club. But I guess, again, and using a, you know, not just about the stock market's just broken a record, it's well, what are my stocks? You know, how do they look? What's behind them? You know, where's my investment property? Is it in a good street, bad street? Like um, footy, wins always up and down. So I think, I think when I took it, when I came to the club, you know, Tony claim, which was huge. You know, Rodney, Rodney Barassi was there and then Rodney took over from, from uh, Ronnie Barassi. But probably when I took over as coach, we just couldn't get that final piece of the puzzle. What are we trying to, what is our brand? You know, what are we trying to stand for as a footy club? And I, th- I think that's what we really embarked on mid-2002 going into 2003 season, starting what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what do we want to stand for as a player group, what's our purpose or our values or our behaviours or whatever we want to articulate it. And that really then started to establish some long-term growth as a footy club. So it certainly was the turning point. Some success under Rocket. We played in the grand final in 1996 and we played in finals, but we probably just couldn't quite get there. And that was really the missing piece for us. So in 2002, you, you didn't coach a full season, but I, I remember at the final game that you played, at the, at the end of the game, I remember the players just literally sort of surrounding you like seagulls around a chip. Why do you think that they did that? Why were they so passionate towards you at that time? Because you weren't there really at the, at the realm for that long. I think it was this new, when I say new, I think when you talk about leadership now, most leaders talk about relationships and connection. And I think it was almost the start of that era because I'd played with them. They were connected to me. They already knew me. They already had a great relationship. And it was always sort of seen, oh, the coach can't have a great relationship with the players. And I always thought that was a bit strange. You didn't have to, but certainly there was no reason why you couldn't. And I think because of that connection as a player, with the guys, you know, I, was, I finished playing in 98. So most of the guys I started coaching, I played with. And I think they felt genuine care for me. And they knew that I genuinely cared about them. And I think that was the moment that sort of sealed that connection. We want one of our players that we played with that cares about us, that generally wants us to be a great footy team. We want us taking control of this football club. And I think it manifested itself in that moment after the game, round 22, um, in 2002. It sounds like the players felt like you were genuinely on their side and, and, and one of them. In the next year, Sydney were predicted to take the wooden spoon uh, in 2004. I think you guys finished fourth, sorry, in 2003. And then in 2005, I remember this was quite controversial at the time as well. Andrew Dimitriou said he described your style of footy as ugly. Unless the Swans change that style of play, they won't win many more football matches. So you won the premiership in in 2005. Now, in 2002, however, I understand that there was a five-year plan. Now, that five-year plan was achieved. Obviously, any footy club, the, the the, the ultimate game plan is to win a premiership. You were successful three years into that five-year game plan. What did the plan look like, Paul? When you were sketching it out on the whiteboard, so to speak, what did that look like? Uh, can you give us some insight into that, please? 
Yeah, it was actually an interesting time. At the end of 2002, Terry Wallace was sort of touted as a job. You mentioned the Richmond game when the players flocked around me. So there's a lot of hype around whether I whether I would coach or whether I wouldn't coach. And then all of a sudden, I got a phone call from Neil Cordy, who was a reporter from the Daily Telegraph. And he said to me, I said, oh, Rosie, when are you presenting to the board? And I said, I'm not. What do you mean? He goes, well, I think you have to. And I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, well, that's what I'm hearing. So I picked up the phone to Andrew Ireland, who was the football manager. I said, Andrew, am I supposed to present to the board? And he said, yeah, it'd probably be a good idea. I think they were sort of hoping that I didn't end up turning up to the board at that particular time so they could say to the media, well, Rusey never presented, so he had to give the job to Terry Wallace. So that's when I sort of put the plan together. And it was amazing because I'd written a book recently and I hadn't looked at the plan for years and years and years. And I rang my IT guy, Anthony Carl, and I said, Carl, have you got that plan? And he sent it through to me and it was it was incredible. It was actually a three-year plan, delivered the premiership in the three years. And when I look back on it, it said, I will deliver a premiership for the Sydney Swans Football Club within three years, something along those lines. That was the last slide. But the more importantly was what the process was getting to it. So when I look back up Talk to that, us about that. I'm really curious about it. Yeah. yeah, a lot of it was a leap of faith. You know, we, we wanted to put this empowerment program in. We wanted to have the players more involved in decision-making of footy clubs. So a lot of it was really groundbreaking. No one had done it before. As well as the way we wanted to play, the way we wanted to recruit, bringing the whole club together as one organisation and having one goal and one purpose... So they were the main thing. So when I look back on it, I mean, the outcome was, was somewhat lucky, I guess, in a sense, because I just happened to write down the last slide. But, but when you write that down, you never know what's going to happen. But it was more important for me to look back and say, yeah, we actually did that. All the things I presented to the board in that four hours, we went about putting into place. So I was really proud of the process, you know, with my assistant coaches, with Andrew Island, with Richard Collis, you know, Cole Seary, Miles Baron Hay, all the people, you know, Rich Barham. So everyone sort of grasped it and jumped in on it. And collectively, we built this really cool organisation through values and purpose and behaviours. And, and we ended up winning the premiership in 2005. So to see it come to fruition was just amazing. And to look back on it and to look at that PowerPoint that took me four hours to sort of present to the board and to see the nuts and bolts of it, again, the premiership was really cool, but it was a result of the process. You know, it was, it's not as simple as, you know, I will make you, you know, 50% of your money in 10 years' time. It's how you're going to go about it. You know, well, tell me how. You know, if that how makes sense, then I might invest my money with you. But if that how doesn't make sense, so as so exciting that slide was to the board members, I'm sure they dismissed it out of hand and said, well, that's great, Ruzi, but how are you going to do it? And when I showed them the how, they backed me. And then once we put that how in place, we delivered the premiership, which was amazing. How difficult is the how? Because when it relates to money and investing, and you know this, you're, you're, you're an investor yourself, uh, and I'm sure you talk to many other investors. When you talk to investors around what they're going to do or what their goals are or whatever the case may be, most of them actually don't know how it's going to happen. It's more a vision they have. And then it's literally blank as to how that's going to happen. It is genuinely a leap of faith. Like you said, when you had that last slide saying, I will deliver a premiership within three years to the Sydney footy club, that that was, you didn't, well, I'm sure somewhere deep down that there, there was a genuine belief that you would be able to deliver that. 
how difficult was it to sell the how to the board, to the players, to the footy club? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, in an industry that's very win-loss, you know, it, it was very interesting sitting in front of the board. But I think to their credit, once they gave me the job, which I'm sure they were sceptical of, so that was probably the hardest decision they had to make. You know, once they gave me the job, you know, we then embarked in the route. That's when the process started. So I think, to your point, it's, if you look at the stock market every day, you're either going to sell or buy every single day. It's, the same, it's exactly the same as a footy club. If you look at the lap every single day, you're either going to go to the footy or you're not going to go to the footy. But if you understand where your football club's going, you're going to go to the footy, you know, and you're going to, and you're going to, you're going to cop the 80-point loss and the 70-point loss, et cetera, et cetera, because you know you trust in the process. You trust in the people. And trust is a massive, massive thing, both with investing and in, in sport. Because if you don't trust the people that are in charge of your footy club, and I talk about all of them, chairman, CEO, football manager, coach, assistant coaches, list manager, then you are on a very much an up and down cycle, a buy-sell cycle. I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell, I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell, I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell. Is that because you're not grounded to something that's keeping you grounded and more so you're being... You're, you're, it's almost like you're a ship without an anchor, if you like, and, and you're just being tossed and turned whichever way the waves and the wind is, is pushing you. It, is it like that to have some sort of grounding belief in, in what you're doing? I mean, you touched on the Demetrio thing. It's probably a good way to bring that analogy in because, and, and people ask me about it all the time. So it's, it's, for those that don't know, it's about around six or seven, 2005. We're playing, I think, ironically, we're playing West Coast in, in Perth, which was a really tough game. And then Andrew Demetrio comes out and says, well, the Swans can never win a premiership playing like they are. They're an ugly team. Unless they change, they're going nowhere sort of thing. So we, we lose that next game. But, but using your analogy, if I'm taking advice on stocks from someone that doesn't know about shares, then I'm going to react. You know, so the way I looked at Andrew, great CEO, but has no idea how to coach a footy club. So that's the grounding part. That's the faith part. So that's, well, that's fantastic. That's noise. That's great. Well done. Appreciate it. How do investors distinguish when they're listening to these so-called experts? I mean, if you're listening to the CEO of the AFL, uh, any reasonable person would, would assume that they've got some knowledge in footy. And some may argue, well, that you shouldn't have that assumption because they wouldn't know how to run a footy team or put together a, a game plan. But how do investors, because footy, footy supporters were listening in on the day, listening to someone like Andrew Dimitriou say what he said, it is no different to putting on Sky News or the ABC or whatever it is and whoever's sitting or standing there talking about what's going on because there is a clear distinction between what Andrew Dimitri is talking about and what is going on inside the club rooms at the Sydney footy club. No different yes, to yeah. what is going yeah. on inside the offices of a family or inside yeah. the, the plans of a family. How, how do these people distinguish the, the, ex, the so-called experts from those that, who are, how do I say it? Maybe yeah. providing their own point of view. And I'll talk about trust a lot because it's a big factor. Who would you trust to service your car? Would you take it to a builder or would you take it to a mechanic? But human nature 
in the stock market and footy is we want to get distracted. We want to listen to the noise. Why? Why do we want to do that? Well, because we think everyone is an expert. We, but, but let's own it down. What is an expert? So let's talk about two things. Why do you take your car to a mechanic and not a builder? Because the mechanic's an expert. So it's really clear. It's really black and, it's really black and white. In the same way that it should be black and white, that Paul Ruse knows more about the Sydney Swans than Andrew Demetrio. But there's this little grey area that exists in the mind of people, you know, and this is where trust comes in. So how do we build trust? Don't give your money to someone you don't trust. All right. And it's, this is really hard. Don't hand the keys to your footy club to someone you don't trust. Really difficult to do because through the process of interviewing, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the essence of how you build a high-performing team and how you stay grounded as an investor or a supporter. You know, if, and unfortunately, in the industries that you're in, in the industry I've been in, the media loves to create noise. There's no headline in, please keep your shares, don't panic, everything will be okay. That's not a headline, is it? There's not a headline in, Paul Ruse knows exactly what he's doing, relax. That is not a headline. So as an investor, as you said yourself, and, and often as a footy follower that I am now, what I can do is distinguish between the noise because of the experience, because of what I've learned over the many, many years. So to the investors listening to this, that in you, find someone you trust. Find someone you trust. Because when you pick up the phone and when the stock market's been smashed, you need to know the end of the person on the end of the phone is the expert, is the mechanic, not the builder servicing your car. Who's servicing your car? All right. And it's funny in so many avenues of life where we don't apply the same principles. And investing is one of them. We don't imply, apply the same principles to investing as we do to servicing a car or to servicing a body. Well, you even know, if, if you need heart surgery... I know where you're going to go, right? Yeah, you're going to go to a heart surgeon. If, if, you, if you want a healthy diet, you're going to go to a dietitian. If you want to get better as a runner, you're going to go to a running coach. You know? But the nature of investing and the nature of footy is everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got an opinion on footy. Everyone's got an opinion on a stock or investing. You know? And that's where. Why do you think that? Why do you think it's so, so easy to have an opinion on that? I mean, I, I don't have an opinion on how people should conduct themselves when they're uh, when they're on the operating table and doing open heart surgery. Not that many people have an opinion on how that should be done. Only very few people have an opinion. Why is investing in footy or sport, for that matter, everyone's got a damn opinion on on what's happening and how it should how it should happen? Because it's so public. When was the last time you read Dr. Ruse performed a fantastic heart operation and it went, he cut this, he did this, he did, did that. It's the noise of the industries that we're in. Everyone wants to write about the number of times in the last 20 years I've read the real estate market's going to drop by 20%. So let me, let me tell you this. If everyone that wrote that was now fined 
$100,000 for every time they wrote it, would they have written it? Would they have written it? No, because I guarantee most of them wouldn't have believed it anyway. I, let me tell you this, in footy, if I said to, to, and I've worked at Fox, as you well know, and I've worked at Triple M, if I said to some of the guys I work with, every time you make a mistake, you're gonna pay $10,000. They won't even open their mouth because they don't even believe what they say. But they have to say it because people read it. There's a, there's, a market for, there's a market for it. Unfortunately, there's a market for garbage in investing. There's a market for garbage in football, in sport. And because, this is why, probably my biggest frustration, the media do not take their role seriously. They do not take their role seriously. They are the, and I learned this at the Melbourne Footy Club. The best thing that I did at the Melbourne Footy Club was go on AFL 360 every Monday night. So I could talk to the Melbourne fans, not let Robbo or Jared or Kingy or, you know, Jared Healy or whatever. Not that I don't like them and trust them. I knew more about the Melbourne Footy Club than they did. You know more about investing someone's money than someone that writes for the Australian does, but they don't take their roles seriously. What they've become as a industry that's about the pandemic's one of the greatest examples you could, you could, the, the, the election with Trump. So we've got some amazing examples now of, of where the media has taken themselves. And it's a real shame because they have such an important role to play. When you took over uh, Melbourne Footy Club, you touched on that. I feel like that was at Melbourne Footy Club's rock bottom. And if I think about it from a, an investment analogy, I feel like you took over the Melbourne Footy Club right at the bottom of the GFC when it was just rock bottom or it, during COVID, absolute rock bottom. What do you as a coach, what do you as an investor do from there on in when you're literally at rock bottom? Yeah, and it's a great point because you're 100% right. And, and when I took over, I think I realised why Peter Jackson needed someone like me to do it because he had an incredible awareness of exactly that, exactly what you're saying. So Peter Jackson was the CEO and he must have rang me four or five, six, seven, eight times to get me to be senior coach. And I realised why when I started because it wasn't rock bottom. So he needed someone that had the experience to take the experience. And let's talk about these words again, and expertise. Experience and expertise. And that's what he was paying me for. My experience and my expertise, but also my ability to weather the noise, my ability to weather the storm, my ability to, to not worry about what the media is saying. And it's really difficult to do. It is really, really difficult to do. And that's why Peter wanted me. And I realised that. So then having known that, then what we do is just apply the same principles we did to Sydney. But we just do it in a different way. And then we do it a little bit further behind and different, slightly different strategies, but same mechanics of how we, we put it all together. And we just keep doing it over and over. And you had a shorter time frame at Melbourne Footy Club as well. Yeah, and a shorter time frame. But I knew my role was different. My role was to run the the football club or football department. And I put really good coaches in. I had really good relationships with Dave Misson, who was already there as a fitness guy. He was my fitness guy at Sydney. So because I knew what I had to do, I was able to bring those people in. I was able to build really good relationships with the leaders, good relationship with the medical staff, the fitness staff, and really was much more of a management role. 
my assistant coaches really the X's and O's and, and stoppages and kick-ins, and they knew how we wanted to play. So there's an enormous amount of trust with the staff, enormous amount of synergy, and we had to make some decisions, you know, some quick decisions. But the process we went through, and we'll keep talking about process, the process of investing at the bottom of the share market should be the same as the top of the share market. Well, why, why would it be any difference? One of, the, one of the most ridiculous things I've heard through the pandemic is, oh, Ruzi, have, have you seen great leadership through the pandemic? My answer is, yeah, but why would it be great leadership in a pandemic? Great leadership is great leadership. It doesn't matter whether it's a pandemic or not a pandemic. It doesn't change you as a leader. But people, the other one that, that makes me laugh is, in footy terms, I hear this all the time, oh, the leaders didn't stand up under pressure. The leaders didn't stand up in a big game. Oh, so that means to be a leader, you're only standing up under pressure. So there's no pressure. You don't have to play well as a leader. If it's not a big game, and I, I used to joke, I said, oh, no wonder the leaders never stand up at Fitzroy. We didn't have big games to play in. So, we've, so it's a ridiculous notion. Leadership is role modelling. Every single day, every single minute, doesn't matter what you do. You are a role model. There's no, there's no contract that says you're only a role model under pressure or you only perform under pressure or you're only a good leader in the pandemic. It's about process. It's about doing things every single day and, and turning them into habits. That's what great leadership is. So at Sydney and at Melbourne Footy Club, to carry out that process, how challenging was it? Because it's not like... Paul Ruse arrives at Melbourne Footy Club and Paul Ruse is he's a premiership coach, so we're going to win a premiership too. How easy or how difficult was it to implement that process both at Melbourne Footy Club and at Sydney Footy Club? And I guess that also relates to how difficult it is to implement a process as an investor. Yeah, I'll talk about them separately because they're, they're, they're quite different. So Sydney, as you said, I took over 10 weeks. We won six games and lost four. And, and when I look back on it now, it was the easiest time of my coaching career because we had nothing to lose. We weren't going to play finals. And it was good fun. I got the job for three years. We were one and three in my first four games. And we were about 20-something points down against Melbourne, ironically, at the SCG. We had two players injured on the bench. The following two weeks, we were playing Brisbane and Collingwood, who played in the grand final the week before. And I remember leaving the box at three-quarter time thinking, we could be one and six in two weeks and my coaching career could be over. And as I was going down, and I don't know where or why it came from, it really hit me. I said, I've got two choices here. I, I can completely change what we're doing, or we can just reinforce to the players that we, we'll get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time. So I got to the huddle. I said, boys, we know what we need to do. You know, we're playing okay. Let's just... And I went through the strategy. The strategy. I went did you the- believe it, Ruzi? Did you believe it? No, I did. I did believe it. I did believe it because I'd been around footy for a long period of time. And, but, it's, but again, it's a leap of faith. It's, it's like you with the share market or the property market. You're going over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of data. You know, but in, under pressure, this is where it's tough. From walking to the, from the box of the SCG to the ground, I'm... For me to think about my 20 years experience is really difficult as opposed to the last quarter that just happened, the, the GFC. It's really easy to get focused on that. So I don't know where it came from. So I just reinforced to the players, we kicked 10 goals in the last quarter. We won our next two games against the, the premiership team from the year before and the runner-up. And we played in the preliminary final that year. And that told me that no matter what the pressure is, you have to stick to the process. And it's really, 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 really difficult. 
go to Melbourne. Melbourne wins two games a year before I, I turn up. They lose 20. They've had six years of losing. So they're in a far worse situation. But having been through the process at Sydney, I remember week, I think week three, we were on three. We got beaten by the Giants. And Nathan Jones walked past and goes, we're shit. I said, Jonesy, relax. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. As a young coach, I would have been horrified and probably said, yeah, Jonesy, we are shit. But I knew, again, I, I had the data of 20 years of the stock market. I had the data of 30 years of the property market. And that's what I was calling on. I wasn't as hard as it is at that moment. I was able to jump from the fear of being 0 and 4, 0 and 5, 0 and 6, and the, shock, and the stare market continuing to go down. I was able to say, no, hang on. This is what we did at Sydney this work. It might just take a little bit longer. We're in a GFC, we're in a crisis. So clearly it's going to take longer. But if we stick to the mechanics of what has worked at Sydney over eight and a half years and, and still works at Sydney under John Longmire, we're going to get there eventually. And it's when those mechanics break down, and I see it over and over again with footy clubs and, and now working for performance by design with companies. It, when it breaks down and people think about the share price, think about profit, that's when things blow up in their face. It sounds like, you know, you talk about the share market, you know, there are, there's over a hundred years of data that's available that shows us very clearly where the markets go over really long periods of time. You know, they say investors have a three-year time horizon last year, this year, and next year. So what they do is notwithstanding the 50, 60, hundred years of data, or even 10 or 15 years, they look at last week. They look at the yeah. last three months, they look at the last six months and they extrapolate what happened to the next six months. It's like, you know, if your footy side plays poorly in, in the first half, you know, the commentators are all over it. This is going to be an absolute killing. Uh, they're not going to kick any goals. I mean, you talk about kicking 10 goals in the last quarter. I mean, the team is absolutely cooked by the fourth quarter to then go and kick 10 goals. I think trying to reinforce that to maybe your younger players or less experienced investors, it sounds like it's something that you're going to have to do more frequently so than those maybe to your Barry Halls or those players that have played for a little bit, little bit longer. Talking about Sydney, in 2005, seconds before the siren went in, in the final, the ball's kicked into the goal square and Leo Barry takes the mark. Now, Leo Barry could have dropped that mark, right? Now, you talk about time and time again, control what you can control. Don't try and control the things you can't control. Now, what do you, what do you mean by that? And how do you then relate that to footy and in investing? Yeah. So, and I, I think about Ross Lyon a little bit in terms of this. And I've mentioned, and Rossi and I are best mates, but, but people often criticise Ross because he hasn't won a premiership. Leo Barry drops that mark. I'm not a premiership coach. The ball bounces up straight up to Stephen Milne. Ross Lyon is a premiership coach. Can I control whether Leo Barry takes that mark? Absolutely not. Can Ross Lyon control where that ball bounces? Did anyone see the pandemic coming? It's the greatest example of controlling what you can control. We're all sitting here now going, oh, geez, I sort of sold those shares. Why? You know, why did I buy those shares? Hang on. At that time you were making that decision, you had no idea there was going to be a pandemic. And as long as that decision was based on the normal principles or 
and we touched on it the other day, or you said, look, I've got a spare X amount. I'm going to throw it into this stock. And if I lose it, I lose it. But we're all really, really good at second guessing and saying, oh, wow, why did I do that? Well, you did it because you, you made your phone call. You spoke to your investor. He said, this is a good stock. And it was. But then all of a sudden, the pandemic broke out. The ball bounced the wrong way. So don't then second guess what you've done in the lead up to that ball bouncing the wrong way. You know, we, I would have loved to won in 05 and 06. We won one, we lost one. I was as proud in 06 as I was in 05 because we played the way we want to play. We just got beaten by a better team on the day. Do you um, think, Paul, people regret that decision because they made that decision, and, and let me relate it in investing terms, they made the decision without the principles, without the process. They just made the decision, right? It just out of the blue, gut feel, let's just do this because the paper's saying this or I think this company's going to do that or whatever the case may be. Not, we need to do this because this is going to potentially help us achieve this goal. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter because this is our sort of out, so to speak, and not following a process. Do you think that's why investors more so second guess themselves? I think there's two components to that, but it all comes back to awareness and preparation and process. So you can buy a stock that's a, a risky stock, but just be aware that it's a risky stock. So, so as long as you know that, then that's fine. I, I don't, I don't, I'm sure you don't. And we've, we've touched on it before, but, just be aware of what you're buying, why you're buying it, and the risk. Then there's the, the blue chip or whatever, you know, the, the buying the property in the best street, you know, worst, worst house in the best street or whatever. That's the one where you go, don't, don't, and you shouldn't second guess on either, but that's the one where you just got to go, okay, Robert said to me that there's earnings, blah, blah, blah. This stock's been going up mainly. It has a little dip every now and then, but it's a really solid company. Let it sit there. Don't whinge and moan when the, when the pandemic hits and then that bank goes from X amount down to whatever because every stock in the world has gone down at that particular stage. So all you can do is, as long as you're aware at the time, but I think, I think more so human nature is... I'm not going to really think about that because I only want to think about the good outcome. Someone told me this stock and I'm sick of this bloke ringing me and saying, you know, he bought a five cent stock and it's now 20 cents and he bought a 25 cent stock. Now it's a dollar 10. I'm sick of him making all the money, you know, and then getting pissed off when that sort of blows up in your face. So it's again, I keep getting back understanding the process, really good self-awareness of, of, of what you're trying to achieve and then just an understanding that if you've done all the right things, don't second guess it. Just be, be this is the way it is. You know, I can't really control the uncontrollables. The, the concept of awareness is, I think, really, really important. And you say awareness, preparation and process. If I think about awareness, I think about if you're investing for, genuinely for the long run, I mean, if you're not investing for the long run, then you shouldn't be putting your money at such high levels of risk if you're investing for the next three or six months. But having awareness around what it is that you are actually doing. So investing, part of the game that you're buying into is 
you're just going to have to ride the ups and downs. Not no different to if you follow Collingwood footy club, you better be prepared that Collingwood footy club is going to have a shit game. Maybe a few shit quarters or maybe a shit half season, but you need to understand that that, that are, they are the drawbacks. There are some benefits that, you know, and I don't know what the stats are of Collingwood footy club winning a premiership. I don't think they're that high, but understanding what the odds are, but having awareness of what you're getting yourself into. I don't know who finished, who finished last uh, this year, Paul. Uh, Crows. Crows. So at, at, at the beginning of the year, if, if you're following a footy club that you think is going to perform well, the odds of success or odds of premierships are, are, are really low. So understand that and be prepared for it. You know, Carlton Footy Club did it for a really long period of time. Melbourne Footy Club, all the clubs have gone, gone through this. I think the concept of awareness is really interesting and understanding what it is that you're getting yourself into. 2006, you touched on it. Uh, I think halftime, I think you guys were uh, 30 points down. In the heat of that moment, like in the GFC, like, in, like during COVID, in the club room, how do you as a coach, how do you as a leader, how do you as an advisor, if you like, keep your investors, your players grounded so that they're not doing crazy things like chuck out the game plan. It's not working anymore, Rusey. We now need to do this because can't you see the scoreboard? We're not doing these things. We need to change, change tact. How do you, yeah. how do you stick to the, the, the game plan and process? Yeah, and it's... Every moment, it's funny you should mention those, but the moments you're talking about, you, you always question yourself. So I remember vividly as a... You were questioning yourself, Rusey? Well, what happens? Because, because you are a high achiever and you want things to go well, you're questioning yourself as asking yourself questions. So when I'm coming down you know, from the coach's box, I remember vividly 2006, is they're killing us. You know, Juddy's playing well, Cousins playing well, Kerr's playing well. What are we going to do here? This is a disaster. But again, every moment that I've been faced with, when I've had the presence to think about it, I've always come back to the same thing. Now, hang on. We're just not doing the things that we said we're going to do. We're not buying the worst house in the best street. We're not buying a, a good property in the inner city. We, we're buying a place 40 miles out of town and expecting that to grow by 20% a year. Or when we're buying a speculative so every moment that I've been faced with, and I remember we went into the rooms and we, the coaches go into the rooms first and said, guys, we're in trouble. I think it might have been Peter Jonas, one of the other coaches said, yeah, but Rusey, we're not doing the things that we said we're going to do, are we? I said, well, no, we're not. So well, why don't we start with that? Bang. What happens? We, I think we got to within, you know, X amount of points at three-quarter time. And as it turned out, we probably should have won 06 and lost 05, whatever. But we got back in the game. Because we went back to the process, we went back to how we wanted to play, and we forgot about the noise, our own noise as well, you know, our own chatter and our own noise. We were able to put that aside and we were able to get things done again. You talk about own chatter in your own mind. When, when you've spoken, I've heard you talk about going into 05, I think the night before or the game, or, or the, before the game, you, you promised your players that you were going to win the final you promised the team that they were going to win the flag. Did you really believe that deep down in your heart to make such a, such a commitment to your playing group at that point in time uh, for, for, since, for all the things that you've gone through? 
Did you genuinely believe that? It, look, it's interesting. I think one of the things that I've been able to do is, and I've been meditating for many, many years, as you said, I think I've always been able to take a situation and think through it clearly. And I remember we'd, we'd finished the um, parade on the, you know, on the Friday and, and the players were all pretty hyped up. We had been meeting on a Friday night. And I thought to myself, what do I want to hear if I was a player? Not what do I want to tell them? You know, because there's, the there's the ego in that. You know, what, what, what do I want to get off my chest? You know, I'm the coach here. What do I want to tell them? You know, and I sort of thought to myself, now, what do they want to hear from me? And I thought, well, if, if I'm actually a player, I want to know that I can win tomorrow. And, but I generally want to know. I don't want you to bullshit me. And I thought to myself, we will win. I've got no doubt we'll win if, if we do the things we have to do longer than then. So it goes if, back to process. It goes back to process. And I said that to him. I said, guys, we're playing a really good team. And it was never disrespectful. I know I wish he wouldn't have taken it this way. And he, he would have believed his own team. And it turned out the other way in 2006. But I said to him, we will win. I guarantee we will win if we do these things right. So, yeah, so you have to say this is how you're going to win. You can't just say we're going to win. I guarantee, boys, you will win tomorrow if we do these things. Guarantee. And I honestly believed it. I honestly believed it. I want to finish off on talking a bit more about the belief and the trust in the process that you talk about. Melbourne Footy Club, I understand it took you a little while to get the the trust and the belief of, of the players. And, you know, you, you, you've given examples in the past whereby you know, you're at the centre bounce and, you know, the centre bounce is the next thing that you can control. You've, you've got your player set up and your, your process and your strategy, but then you've got someone like Nathan Jones who decides that he needs to, you know, move to the left three or four metres. Then you've got the other bloke saying, well, why is Jonesy there? I, I need to now shuffle this way. And all of a sudden now you've just got this setup that is not what Paul Ruse had set up. How difficult was that process and how... How important is it that Nathan Jones, i.e. the investor, if you like, yeah. has a firm belief in you know, their advisor's process or their advisor's strategy, or in fact, the strategy that both the players and the coaches, investors and advisors have all agreed to? Because presumably you've agreed to that, that plan, right? That's what everyone's agreed. We're all in. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And, and again, like if you talk about trust a lot, so... They've got to believe in what I'm doing, you know. And again, your, your investors have got to believe in what you're doing. But as much as it's a team sport, what I realise, players fundamentally can have a good game without the team winning. A coach can't, all right? But a player... Why is that? Why cannot a, why cannot a coach have a good game? Well, when I say in... In the eyes of the media, and, and if you're hard on yourself, you know, but you break it down. But what I'm saying is it's pretty black and white when you're coaching. But I, as a player, if we lost, a, a player can get three Brownlow votes in a losing game, you know. So you, there's some individual um, reward in a losing team. That's why Nathan Jones moves across. And if you've lost for six years, you start to think about yourself, Okay. So if I've, if I've lost money over a six-year period with an, an investor, you're naturally going to get sceptical. So they have to, I have to build trust. It's not a case of me walking into Melbourne Footy Club and saying, Nathan, just stand there, because I have to build that trust. How do you do I, that? 
well, you build the plan together. You, you sit down and go over the vision and say, well, look, do you understand why this is happening? Yeah, no, I understand it. Now, Nathan, do you understand if you do this, I can't ask the other players to do that? Yep, no, I understand it. So it's a collective thing. You're 100% right. Communication as a leader, communication as a financial planner. This is why we're doing it. Do you agree with me? If you don't, tell me why. And I'll, and I'll give you the... So, Nathan, tell me why you don't want to stand there. Well, I, I don't want to stand there because of this. Okay, well, if you don't stand there and Max Gorn hits it there, what, what's going to happen? Oh, well, they're going to win the ball. All right, so do you reckon you should stand there? Yeah, okay, I'll stand there. All right, so it's a give and take. Trust is not a one-way street. Trust is a two-way thing. It's building up that rapport, building up that trust, building up those relationships. So, Nathan, trust me, but he also got to trust his teammate. You know, he's also got to trust his, his teammate that he's going to stay in the right spot as well. So building a team in that regard is more complex than, than that one investor investing with you. Because I've, I've got to deal with 18 investors all putting their money in the same company <laughs> and all agreeing to ante up and all agreeing to leave that money in the pot, you know, when things aren't going well. So that becomes even more challenging. And when things don't go well, people get highly emotional, both in, in sport and both in investing as well. You know, I remember when Nathan Buckley was supposed to get kicked out and then two weeks later, Nathan Buckley should get an extension on his coaching career. It, it's so uh, emotional week by week. How do you, as a coach or an advisor, how do you manage that emotion with a whole bunch of human beings that you're dealing with? Yeah, and, and that's why... Again, getting back to what you stand for. what Because you know, if, if you judge, and you touched on it before, if you judge a premiership as success, there's, there's only one successful team in footy. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous notion that 17 teams are unsuccessful. So what does success look like? Success looks like to a footy club, we build really good people. You know, when they come into a footy club, they leave much better people. You know, we have a brand that people are really proud of, win, lose or draw, that the Sydney people, you know, Melbourne people can go to the footy knowing what they're going to get. You know, you know, if it's a young team, they're probably going to lose more, more than they're not, but they can see what we're building. So it depends on how you define success. And then that's up to the leader to continually reinforce it. This is what I'm going to reward. This is what I'm going to challenge. This is what I'm going to reward. This is what I'm going to challenge. And it's just a constant... I listened to a guy called Simon Sinek spoke, speak the other day, and he's got a new book called The Infinite Game. And what I, he, what I disagreed with him, he said that, that, I, that sport is a finite game, which has got a finishing point. I disagree with that. I agree with his analogy if it's an infinite game. Every business is an infinite game. It, it, this notion of I want to be the number one company, what, what does that mean? You know, as opposed to I'm ahead or I'm behind. I'm ahead, I'm behind. I'm ahead, I'm behind. If I'm behind, I'm trying to get a bit better. But he talked about great people focusing on the why, why you exist, purpose, behaviours, values. So it was really fantastic to, to hear that, to reinforce that. But under pressure, it's really difficult to execute. Under pressure is when you've got to have a great leader that really believes in it, really believes in people, really believes in a purpose, really believes in behaviours and is really strong on it. That's really interesting. I think we're seeing more and more of that now and, and players are being uh, far more public about this now, whereby they are talking even to the media about what's really important to them and why they're not chasing that million dollar contract. And they might stay at a particular footy club on 650 because there are 
personal successes, personal things that they get out of that, but it's not just the dollar figure that they're chasing. And I think, I don't think that enough investors or enough people sit there for themselves and clarify what does success look like for me? Is it when I log into my uh, investment portfolio, if my investment dollar figure is going down, I am an unsuccessful investor. Well, are you? you? You may or may not be. We don't know. But I think clarifying those milestone events, what success looks like, because you nor I, nor the investors themselves can control whether the stock market is up or down today or tomorrow. I mean, this week, the stock market had technical issues. It didn't even open. So you can't even control the damn thing opening, right? So we need to think about how do we as investors control the things that we can control? You know, if we're spending too much money and our money's running out and the, the, the investments can't grow enough to sustain that, well, maybe we've got to take two trips a year, not four, whatever the case may be. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there where before you talked about footy being a win-loss business. Now, it is a win-loss business if you're an outsider looking in. And unless you're clear about what winning looks like internally, losing a game of footy or losing a premiership or your investment portfolio going down, it doesn't mean you cannot be a successful investor even if your portfolio's fallen down 10% or whatever the case may be. I want to wrap up, Ruzi. We're, we're probably running, running on time and I'm sure you've got other things that you need to, to get to. Talk to me really quickly, biggest mistakes in footy and biggest in, mistake in investing. Yeah, um, biggest mistakes in footy. I think, I, was, I think in footy I've been a lot more fortunate because my entry level to footy was really good. You know, I went to, went to the Fitzroy Footy Club and I saw from a really young age, great people. And I think if my experience had been different, I would have had a lot more ups and downs in footy. But I think because I was able to recognise what great role models were and what great behaviours were, I, I didn't really, when I say recognise, I saw it, but I probably didn't make the analogy straight away. So I was, I was really lucky in that point of view. So it was probably more things that I couldn't control I, I would have loved to have seen Fitzroy go at the end of 86 relocate to, to Brisbane I think that's probably something that was out of my control but when you talk about regrets I would have loved to have seen what would have happened we had great people great players um, going to you know going to the Gold Coast instead of the way they started the footy club you know taking Fitzroy up there having seen where I got to with the Sydney Swans footy club yeah, that's South Melbourne, Sydney winning the premiership. So that's probably the greatest regret from football that Fitzroy didn't make the decision to go to Brisbane. That I would have loved to have seen. I think probably in investing was, and we, I think we might have touched on this, as a young, and I didn't really know what I wanted. So I bought this house in Park Orchards and, and I always had this vision of, you know, having a tennis court and a swimming pool and a Porsche in the driveway and a really nice house sort of thing. And, but I was young and, you know, so I didn't really understand it. And then I sold that place, which I did pretty well with. And I just bought this other place, which was half an acre, you know, beautiful swimming pool, beautiful house. I was living by myself. And I'm, when I look back, I go, why? What, what was the purpose? What did success look like to me then? And the property market of late 80s hit. 
and I bought it for 290,000, sold it for 220,000. And eventually I bought a place in North Carlton in Drummond Street. And I wish I had someone then that said, Paul, why are you buying this property? You know, it, it wasn't a family house. It wasn't for, for my kids or my wife or, you know, I, I played tennis, but I didn't use the tennis courts much. So then I, I think to your point, I realised what does success look like for me as an investor? You know, so I started investing differently. But then when I started buying houses, I wasn't buying them as an investor. I'd be really clear on that. I was buying them because I wanted to provide for my wife and my children. And so did Tammy. So we were buying properties to live in as lifestyle. And we were really clear on that. It just so happened by doing that, we bought in really good areas and we bought really good properties. But the biggest mistake was not knowing why I was buying, not knowing why I was investing. You know, and as a young, you know, when I was sort of 21, I was lucky when I bought my first house. Mind you, it was 123000 which you can't get a, you basically can't buy a car for that now, let alone a house sort of thing, half an acre out in Park Orchards. But I had no idea why I was buying it. Yeah, just because I wanted a roof to, to live in and that was it. So I wish I had a, had my time over again and I would have bought that place in North Carlton, you know, probably 10 years before I, before I did. I think it's amazing how much your lens changes once you start putting in some parameters and almost a checklist of things to tick off for that decision that you're, you're actually making. And for you, it's turned out that once you started putting a lens over your decision-making, you started making better decisions. And, yeah, I think, 100%. and I think a lot of analogies that you talk about in sport as a coach, as a leader, as an advisor to your, to your players or to your clients or to your investors, if you like, there are a, a lot of analogies that come there in sport and in business and in investing. And I think if, if more people can have a look at the, the two, they will notice that there is more than just yeah. a little overlap in, in both, of those, both of those different industries. Ruzi, today's been awesome. I've got a ton more questions. We'll probably have to get you on uh, again, maybe oh, next right. year sometime, uh, maybe when you're back, uh, back in Melbourne. So, Ruzi, thank you so much for today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, mate. Fantastic. Loved it. Thanks, mate. Bye for now.